We are beginning the new year in the book of Romans once again, and we have finally reached chapter 12. And chapter 12 is a really great chapter in the book of Romans. Uh, I could say that for just about every chapter in the book of Romans, but you have joined at a, a particularly good time if this is your first Sunday with us, because we are looking at what does it mean, what does it look like to live appropriately before God. But like all good things, context is very important. Perspective is very important. Uh, If you've ever looked through a telescope and you've seen something, and then you've taken the telescope away and you realize how far away that is, that that perspective is important. Sometimes you think that you, you look through that and you go, whoa, they're just right there. And then you take the telescope down and then you realize, no, they're way over there. And so understanding how far away something is or how big something is, if you're looking through a microscope and you see, and it looks huge, and I, you, some things, when you make them huge, that are designed to be very small, are really scary looking. And so having the appropriate context and recognizing these are actually very tiny, and uh, so let's have an appropriate perspective on that. We need to get that as we're going into chapter 12. Because if we don't have that kind of a perspective, if we don't understand the lens through which we're looking at chapter 12, um, we are going to get off the rails really quick. And the, the reason that I say that is because we've taken about two years to get through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. I, I think that you could read that. I haven't timed it, but I think you could read it in about 10 minutes. But it took us two years. Okay? So if you had just read it in about 10 minutes and then now you were getting into to chapter 12, you would have that perspective. And we can't lose 11 chapters worth of perspective as we enter chapter 12. Okay? And so this, these two verses, we're only going to look at two verses this morning. That's going to set up the context for 12, and we're going to have to refresh our memories, especially this is going to be hard as we get our, our memories are not so good that uh, in a couple of months when we're still in chapter 12 and chapter 13, we're going to be having to refer back to these verses, and they are these, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I, I appeal to you. I, I, am, I am imploring you. I am asking you. I am begging you. Please, please, please listen. Now, when I read that in English, I appeal to you, therefore. It doesn't have that same kind of weight. Because we just don't say that very often. I appeal to you. Because of your graciousness, would you please lend me some money? 
what? Whereas if somebody comes and says, I am begging you. I am in significant need. Would you please lend me some money? That has a different weight to it. And so as we're reading this, you can picture Paul on his knees going, I am begging you. Please. Please. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Well, even the intimacy in that. Brothers. Family. He, he could have said all kinds of different things, right? He, he could have gone, I am appealing to you, you losers. I am appealing to you, you estranged people. But he doesn't. He is appealing to them as family members. I am appealing to you, I am begging you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, please, therefore, now, therefore, 11 chapters worth of stuff. Because of all that I have said up to this point, therefore, by the mercies of God. Okay, now, time out. Before we can get into the rest of this, I feel like we have to go back and look at Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, we obviously don't have time for all of that. That would take like two years, probably. Um, but let, let's just let's just go back and grab a couple of the highlights. Romans chapter one, verse, verses three through six. This is the very beginning. He, Paul is writing to them. He's he's saying this is I'm writing concerning the Son of God, who descended from who was descended from David according to the flesh, and who was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, this was the very beginning. He's writing to them at the very beginning of his letter. And he's saying, I want you to be in mind of the power of God that came through the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead of Jesus, our Lord, so that we who have received grace and apostleship might bring about the obedience of faith. That, so that there will be a matching behavior in line with the grace that we have received through Jesus. That's what he's saying at the very beginning of the letter. This is what's coming. And so what we have in the letter is 11 chapters with some interspersing of behavior, but primarily just loaded with theology. Just loaded with, this is what God has done. These are the implications of this. This is how I'm going to explain it in ways that you can understand whether you have a great understanding of the Old Testament or a very limited understanding of the Old Testament. I'm going to help you understand the whole context of the Gospel. And then there's this hinge at Romans 12, 1 and 2 to then begin to explain how we might live in that obedience of faith. And he set that up from the beginning. Way back in Romans 1, verses 3 through 6, he set this up. 
And he began to set it up some more by describing what the problem was toward the end of Romans chapter 1. So that in verses 21 through uh, 23, it says, For although they knew God, that is, those, those people against whom the wrath of God has been revealed, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, animals, and creeping things. Again in verse 28 it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They, they are rejecting God and following all kinds of wicked, evil things because they have rejected God. Even though God is there and is eminent throughout creation, we, we should recognize that He is there, but because we don't, then we do all of these other things. And so this is the, the major problem. This is the sin that causes us to behave as though God is not there when in fact God is right there and has revealed that He doesn't like that kind of behavior. So what do we do about this? We jump to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now, but now, even though we did have all of this sin, even though uh, all of us were that way, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets did bear witness to it. The righteousness of God which comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love these verses. I love these verses. Because it describes how just as the wrath of God had been revealed from heaven, we remember that, oh, we just read that in chapter 1, against all unrighteousness. Now what we see is what's manifested is the righteousness of God which comes not by action, not through works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. That God sent His only Son, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation for our sins, a, a sacrifice on our behalf to give us righteousness and remove our sins. That's what God did. This has now been revealed to us so that He might both be just and the justifier. Awesome! Jump down then to, to Romans 5 in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then continuing on in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We have been saved from the wrath of God by justification through the work of Jesus and our belief or faith that Jesus' work means something for us. Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin, and rose again from the dead. And we believe that happened, and that He did that as a one-time sacrifice to cleanse us from our sin. That is the context, I mean, in a very abbreviated form. That is the context of the belief that comes in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans and sets up the behavior explanations in chapters 12 and following. So when we get now to Romans chapter 12, it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, I am begging you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, according to the mercies of God, because of God's mercy, compassion toward us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I am begging you, my brothers and sisters, because of all that God has done, because of all of the theology that we have just been covering, now, because God has made us and forgiven us of our sins, therefore, present your body to Him as a living sacrifice. You can see how we miss something if we jump straight to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Then it sounds like some sort of religious behavior where we are just supposed to come and present ourselves to God as our own sacrifice. That's not what this is saying. We are not doing this as a way of justifying ourselves before God. We are not presenting ourselves as sacrifices, as a way to appease or appeal to God. We are doing it because of what God has already done. Right? He has already justified us. He has already loved us, shown us His mercy, and accepted us. So this behavioral piece and all of the behaviors that we are going to see in the coming verses and chapters are not going to be ways in which we will moralistically appeal to God on the basis of our behavior. But if we look at those verses apart from the context of chapters 1-11, through 11, we will forget that. And my biggest fear in going through the next part of Romans is that we will. 
We will spend so much time going, this is how we should behave, and this is how we should behave, and this is how we should behave, and this is how we should behave, that we will begin to see this in a moralistic, works-based kind of way and go, oh, you're not acting like you should be because this is what it says that you should be acting like. Or we will begin to feel very guilty about ourselves because I am not acting appropriately and so therefore God must not love me because this is what He's calling me to live like. When in fact, He is being very clear here, I am appealing to you on the basis of God's justification of you. I am not begging you to make yourselves worthy of God's affection. I am begging you because God has already made you worthy to then offer your bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. People used to bring sacrifices to God. And the thing about sacrifices is it costs you something. Right? It, it hurts a little bit. It, it's not maybe what you would have wanted to do. It's an offering. It's a gift. And it costs you something. At one point in the Old Testament, David really wants to give an offering to God, a sacrifice to God, and he doesn't have anything available. So he goes to buy it from this guy. And the guy goes, oh, no, I'll, I'll just donate it. I'll just donate it and then you can sacrifice it to God because I, I love you and you're great and so I'm just going to donate this to you and then you can sacrifice it. And David goes, what? That would hardly be my sacrifice. That's, that would be your sacrifice and very generous of you to sacrifice on my behalf, but it wouldn't be mine if I accepted a donation. It has to cost me something. I must buy it from you so that it can be mine, so that I can be the one who offers it to God. Because it's going to cost me something. And those sacrifices used to appeal to God as a way of saying, I am dependent on your mercy. Now, what we are saying, what he is saying, what Paul's saying right here in Romans chapter 12, is that we are presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. The way in which we live is a sacrifice to God. I'll tell you what, I, that, um, that's not appealing to me. Living my life as a sacrifice to someone, I would much rather um, live it for me. But there is something about relationship with people that causes you to sacrifice on their behalf. Sometimes that's a spouse, sometimes that's a child. Sometimes that's a parent. Sometimes that's a friend where you go, I have no desire to do this right now. I have no desire to help them right. I know they need help moving. And I, I love them, but I am tired and don't really have time today and don't feel like helping them move. I am going to sacrifice out of love for them my time and my energy and my back tomorrow to help them move today. 
It's going to cost you something. What Paul is asking here is that they begin to think about their lives, their physical bodies, the way that they carry themselves as a way of offering their bodies and their lives as a sacrifice to God and that that is their spiritual worship. The way that you live in your physical body is spiritual worship. And is a response to our understanding of what God has done for us. Now, stop and think about that. What you do with your bodies, your physical actions, are spiritual worship toward God. Do you know how often I have heard the phrase, I don't think God cares about what I do with my body? I don't think God cares about what I do with my body. No, God does care what you do with your body. The way that you treat your body and the things that you do with your body, those are spiritual things. You offer bodies as living sacrifices to God and that is your spiritual worship. Holy and acceptable to God. Again, not because the things which you do make your bodies and your behavior holy and acceptable to God. You were made holy and acceptable to God, and now you're acting in such a way that you are worshiping God with your behavior and with your body. This is, for me, a major, major challenge. Because I have to to stop and go, Oh, the way I use my time reflects my worship toward God. The way that I use my words reflects my worship toward God. The way that I act and behave toward other people reflects my worship toward God. The way that I act before God when no one else is around reflects my spiritual worship before God. I would rather forget that point. But when I remember it, I am much, much more uh, uh, purposeful about what I do with my bodies. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, if that's the case, based on everything that Paul has said up to this point, if we are to, in response to that and what God has done for us, present our bodies as spiritual sacrifices to God, how will we do that? And so he takes that up in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. That literally, don't, don't be conformed to uh, this time period, this age. Don't, don't be conformed to the way that people do things right now. In every, in every age or time period or generation, there, there seems to be different things that this is the way we do things. Our parents did things one way, and now we do things another way. I, I don't know if that's by generation or by decade or how exactly that's decided, but somehow the cultural norms and the way we do things seems to depend on the age. That particular time period. And so you can, can look back, and some of the things that people used to do, that's pretty funny. And some of the things that people used to do, it's pretty tragic. And when you look around today in light of the things that people used to do, some of the things people do today, it's pretty funny. And some of the things that people do today, it's pretty tragic. I don't know that things are getting worse, but they're getting different. And every age you look at has its problems. It has its sin issues that are accepted as cultural norm. And it has some things that you look at and go, by and large, that seems pretty redeemed somehow. And then as one area falls apart, another area seems to get picked up and you kind of go, it's kind of weird. And it's different than it used to be. But don't be conformed to that. It's tempting to go along with the thoughts of this age and go, these are the things that are really important. And these are the things that we really should just let slide and ignore because no one should care about that. And he's saying, don't be conformed to that. Don't just step into line with the thinking of today. Whether you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or uh, your news feed or, or, or whatever it is, and you see this is generally the consensus on the way things are. Don't just go, yep, I'm going to be in lockstep with that. And I know some of you are going, I never am in lockstep with that. Because I use alternative news sources. And so I'm definitely in lockstep with them instead. That, that's not our perspective. We are not in line with this age, whether this age is on the right or this age is on the left. We are not in line with this age. We are not becoming conformed with this age. Don't be conformed with, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love the way that does that in English. That's actually much better in English than in, in Greek. 
But, but the way it links these in, in, don't be conformed, but be transformed. The, the way that you're thinking is, that ought to be changed in light of what God has done for us. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, even in, in saying that, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed to the renewal of your mind. It throws me back to uh, Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. When we exchange the glory of God for anything else, whatever, it look, whatever kind of wisdom it may look like, it's foolishness. And we end up doing the things that ought not to be done. So don't be conformed to that way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That your mind is being changed over into a new pattern, a new way of thinking, a new perspective. So that if you've got that telescope up, you're you're getting the perspective of how far that actually is. If, If you've got the microscope down and you're looking at it, you step back and you see how small it actually is. You're looking at the context for the things that you're looking at and saying, this is how I think about this because of what God has done for me. Because God has revealed His wrath against sin from heaven and has at the same time expressed His love and made His righteousness known to us so that we might be accepted by Him, therefore, this is how I will behave. Therefore, This is how I will worship God with my body. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You're you're going to examine it. You're going to check it. You're going to think about it. You will often ask the question, is this what God desires of me? And you're going to read His Word to have some context for knowing whether or not this is what God desires of me. The, The times that we get really off is when we're just making it up on our own. I just make it up as I go. But when we spend time really uh, soaking in God's Word and and reading it, then then we begin to go, is this what God wants from me? And the the yes or no on that becomes pretty obvious pretty fast. As you're telling that joke with your coworkers, is this what God wants from me? Oh yeah, this is not what God wants from me. 
as you find yourself raising your voice, as you find yourself interacting with, with those challenging personality types, is this what God wants from me? Is this what God wants from me right now? Because if I'm thinking every morning as I wake up, if I, if I were to rehearse these verses to myself as I woke up in the morning and think about how I am presenting my body as a living sacrifice to God, then as I'm walking through the day, is this my way of worshiping God right now? Is this my way of worshiping God right now? With my physical body right here and right now. Now, as I say that, my context is I'm standing in front of a church of people talking about God's Word and how it applies to their lives. I think that's what God wants from me right now. It gets trickier when we're out at the school and we're having conversations with other parents who are talking about their perspective on things that are happening within the school. And now I'm interacting with them and I'm talking with them and I'm trying to decide, is this gossip? Is this helpful? Is this critical? Is this encouraging? Is this God-glorifying? But our physical bodies and our voices are used in acts of spiritual worship all the time in every context. This is not more holy than that is. If I am using my body in an act of spiritual worship, wherever that may be, whether I'm picking up trash as I walk along the road, or interacting with a coworker, or interacting with parents at the school, all of those can be spiritual acts of worship. Not that the act in itself becomes spiritual just like this is a spiritual act, but because the person who is doing it is a worshiper of God, then it becomes a spiritual act of worship. Right? So when I'm interacting with parents on the PTA, every parent who's interacting with parents on the PTA, that's not necessarily a spiritual act of worship. When I'm acting there, that's not necessarily a spiritual act of worship, though it should be every single time. Because one of the sacrifices that I make is that I am there and that I am interacting in a way that glorifies God. And if I'm not, then I'm not doing that. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, I am begging you, my brothers and sisters, would you consider yourselves to be acting as spiritual worshipers with your physical bodies, in your physical actions, in every context, in every way, offering your lives as sacrifices to Him. And even as I say that, I'm thinking, that's hard. I don't even know if I can do that all the time. I don't think I can live up to that kind of a standard. Well, it's a good thing then that our acceptance by God and our righteousness is not determined by our action, but that this is our act of worship in response to what God has already done for us. 
God has already redeemed us. We are already justified. We aren't justified because we interact in a spiritual way at the PTA. But having already been justified by Him, we can worship Him even in the way we interact in the PTA. Or the HOA. Or whatever other association you're a part of. And some of them are really tricky to worship God while interacting there. You have to show an unusual amount of patience and kindness and graciousness because of some of the personalities that you are interacting with. But nevertheless, it's what we're called to do. He's going, look at this is what good theology does. If we understand God is and what He's done for us, it will result in these things so that we are worshiping Him. It's not resulting in these things. We have to wonder if our theology's messed up. And go back and start rehearsing some of those things. And it might be broken on one side or it might be broken on the other. You might think that this is of no importance and has no spiritual significance. And so what difference does it make how, do I, how I interact with these people? Or you might think on the other side that the way that you interact with these people determines whether or not you're actually a Christian. Both of those are wrong. What actually is the case is that we are acting as worshipers in our daily lives at all times. And the only way that that's going to happen is because of what Jesus has already done for us and because the Holy Spirit is living within us, assisting us, helping us to focus on and do the right things. And that is our spiritual worship. That we might be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Isn't that crazy? If you want to do the right thing, you have to think the right way. You're not going to accidentally do the right thing. You have to think about it the right way. That your mind will be transformed. Then you can offer your bodies as physical... uh, Should I try again? (laughs) You have to think the right way. And then you can offer your physical body as an act of spiritual worship. It it has to start there with getting the thinking straight. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is good and acceptable and and perfect or uh, complete having reached its goal. So that when Paul is saying that by the mercies of God, because of everything that God has done for us and that I have been explaining up to this point, that so that that may reach its completion and its goal in each of you, may your minds be transformed and your bodies acting as spiritual worship. That's where it's going. It's good It's acceptable and it's reaching the goal of the mercy of God as it's making itself complete in you. See, if you thought that the gospel was this way in which you were forgiven of your sins so that you could go to heaven when you died, then you're missing the completion of it. The completion of it is the living and offering your body as as a spiritual sacrifice 
in the way that you live that brings honor and glory and worships Him, starting now and forevermore, in this life and the next. That's the goal. That's what we're getting to. And some of us are looking through a telescope at that goal going, it's a long way away. But by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, the transforming of our mind will help us to move our way there until we are perfected in heaven. What is good and acceptable and perfect. And we are going to see in the coming weeks Examples of this as as Paul begins to help us to think about what does this look like in real life. Right now, I'm just giving you the context and the lens through which we're looking at the rest of these verses. But starting next week, we're going to start looking at what does this look like in real life? How do I actually do this? And we're going to have to maintain this perspective that it's because of all of the stuff that God does and that it is our act of worship. We, we are not uh, legalists, we are worshipers. We are not doing it because we have to do it to be accepted by the community and to be accepted by God. We are doing it because it is our act of worship. And so we're going to be referring back to this over and over and over and over again until I'm hoping that you don't get sick of it, but that you love these verses. Maybe even memorize these verses. Waking up each morning to say, God, how can I worship you today with my body? I am offering myself to you as a spiritual sacrifice of worship. And it all begins by understanding our identity that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And by his sacrifice. And so we are going to begin that this morning with communion. And if you believe along with me that that God has sent His Son to die for your sin, to remove your sin, to justify you before Him, so that you may now be righteous before Him, then I would encourage you during the next song, either come to the front here uh, or to the back. There are tables at both places and you can take uh, a piece of the bread and a cup and bring it back to your seat and I will come back up after the next song, and we'll all take it together to remember what Jesus has done for us as we begin to think about the implications of that and how we might worship him with our bodies. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, um, we are so grateful for all that you have done. That you have revealed from heaven, your wrath against sin, so that we know that it is not right to act in a way that does not glorify you. But Father, even though we know that, we are incapable of acting correctly on our own. And so we thank you for the justification that comes through faith in Christ that you have forgiven us of our sins. And having forgiven us, now fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can walk, act, appropriately, 
in ways that are good and pleasing to you. So, Father, we ask, would you remind us of this day by day? Would you work these scriptures into our hearts and into our minds that we might be transformed by them and worship you with every aspect of our lives unto your glory and the praising of the name of Jesus. Amen.